C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity says, and I quote, If a man asked what the point of playing football was, it would not be good saying in order to score goals, for trying to score goals is the game itself, not the reason for the game, and would really only be saying that football was football, which is true, but not worth saying, unquote. Now, same question. Why is abortion wrong? The quick answer would be to take a human life is wrong, but you would only be describing what abortion is and not the reason why it is wrong. What makes this a complex topic has been the question of when a human becomes a human. And I understand that we're jumping off a cliff here, but we have to jump. Dr. John, you did explain briefly in the previous episode how God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Not the same description with Eve and definitely not the same with us in the sense that God does not form us out of the dust of the ground every time a child is born or conceived. But we know that the psalmist says, you formed me in my mother's womb. So the only difference is the dust in our case and the rib in Eve's case. But in all cases, God does the forming. Now, at what point do we become human? Could this answer why abortion is wrong? Dr. John, help us with this issue. Thank you, David. You're a great friend. Um, and I thank you all for tuning in tonight to, to hear. Um, and I, I did, David did send me that. So uh, I want you all to know I had uh, fair warning that uh, a question came up uh, after our discussion on Monday. And I think that was uh, outstanding. Uh, can, we, can we start talking about the, this kind of a deep, deep question, which is, um, you know, when does a human become human? And then with regard to one of the big issues that faces our time, uh, what about abortion? Uh, how does that come to bear on what God's word says? And, and how does one view it? And, um, and I said to David, when he texts me, can we talk about this? And I said, absolutely. Uh, because I want us to understand that God never shies away from difficult questions. Uh, when we think something might be too personal or, or too difficult or too um, uh, awkward or uncomfortable to discuss, um, God never does. And, and I think that uh, Jesus in his earthly life uh, would, would have talked about this without any uh, concern. So uh, are we jumping off a cliff? Uh, yes, but we're jumping uh, with the Lord in our presence. And, uh, and David, I loved how you boiled it down a little bit. So we understand how Adam was, uh, was formed from dust, uh, a physical body, and then breath, a, a spiritual aspect. And so that makes sense if we try to understand Genesis 2, 2-7. And then, and then Adam, uh, his body was used to then make Eve. And uh, so Adam's rib, which had the full DNA of Adam, 
uh, was then used to, to fashion, God used it to, to fashion and create Eve. And from that time, uh, things have changed. And, and I thought it was interesting, David, you said the only difference is the dust. And, uh, and what's interesting is uh, I think there are many more differences, and uh, that's what I want to explore uh, today. And so we'll start jumping off uh, here, and, uh, and I do want to leave plenty of time uh, for questions. Uh, what I want to do is actually go back to the first chapter of Genesis and start looking at creation because when we think about something like abortion and how we should view it, uh, that is influenced by our own personal experiences. And, um, and many of us, including me, have a personal experience in my life uh, with that. Um, I've had many patients and, uh, and many friends and close relatives who've had firsthand experience with that. And so I know how difficult it is and how uh, painful that is. And, um, and it gets to this idea of what is the purpose of life? What's, what's the, what was God's plan in the first place? And if we think that God's purpose and God's plan in life was just to populate heaven with human beings, uh, we'll miss the point because then we'll think that this question primarily revolves around us, around human beings. And, uh, and I would submit to you that that's one of the reasons why we struggle so much with it. Uh, because I don't think that the question is primarily about us. I think the question of our existence, uh, the question of our purpose, and the question of the choices that we make in life are primarily about God and uh, who he is. And so I want to go back to, to Genesis uh, 1, 11. And this, you may think that this is a little odd to go back to Genesis 1, 11, because this is when God is making vegetation. It's, it's, he's not actually making uh, even animals at this point. But in Genesis 1, 11 uh, and 12, it says this, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so what we see is that God made plants with what the Hebrew word is called zerah, which is seed. And, and the seed is that which then propagates the species. So the seed in the plants are the things in the plants that allow the plants to make other plants. And that's really important because that's in the creation narrative in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1 verse 20, God shows us how living creatures, animals, the birds and the fish were made. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures 
and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heaven. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And again, what's interesting is that we have this idea of multiplication. So each kind multiplies its own kind, but then also in verse 20 is the first occurrence of that word nephesh that we talked about on Monday. Nephesh is the word for soul. And so now we see that the creatures in the sea and the creatures in the air, the birds and the fish have souls, okay? They have nephesh. And this is a, one of the kind of uh, interesting tensions is that before God created man, he created living beings that had souls. Well, then in Genesis 1.24, uh, this is day six, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. So now we're going to get land animals, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. Everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so the creation of the world through day six of the creation, we had these living creatures, creatures that had nephesh or souls and plants that had zera, which is seed. So that which allows uh, the propagation of the species. And then in Genesis 1:26, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So now God has created a new kind of nephesh a new kind of soul, a soul that actually bears the image of God. And, uh, and, and we're told that the, that the bearing of that image is something that occurs in, in these souls, the nephesh, in the men and the women, that God then says now to man and woman, now I want you to multiply, and while you're multiplying and filling the earth, you are to subdue and rule over the re uh, rest of creation while you bear my image. So God's plan was not simply about reproducing physical beings that bear his physical image. God's design was that those who bear his image reproduce a spiritual likeness to God. And so when we talked about how Adam was created, and that's the specifics of that we went over on Monday night, so I won't get into all of that again, but God created Adam from dust. He personally blew into Adam 
the breath of life. And it's the combination of God's spirit with the body that he had created that made Adam bear the image of God. And now the question then is, since Adam and Eve, then while they were bearing the image of God, um, chose to sin. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in, in uh, Genesis 3, but you know that in Genesis 3, the record of the fall occurs. And so what you have is this fracture of the perfect state that we talked about in Genesis 2, where Adam and Eve were together. Adam had been created by by the, the breath of God and the dust, and Eve had been created from the very uh, body of Adam. But now, since Adam and Eve both created souls or created nephesh, we're then told the two of you will now become one flesh. And, and through you becoming one flesh, then what happens is that's how the seed of mankind now propagates throughout uh, the ages. And so in Genesis chapter four, we see that Eve and Adam have uh, conception and then Cain and Abel are born. And we won't get into the messy situation that occurred in Genesis four because of the messy situation that occurred in Genesis three. So suffice it to say, we've got the creation of man in this way where now man creates replicas of himself. Now there's uh, different terms over the years that have been used to understand how souls are created. Uh, it's, a, it's a funny term, but the term traducianism is the term that is used that starts with a T, traducianism, is the term used to describe how living souls create subsequent living souls are, or are involved in the creation of living souls. And therefore, God doesn't himself have to personally involve himself as a personal agent in creating a new soul every time a baby is born. And so without getting deep into the weeds of the theology, what we see that human beings can propagate after their kind, just like plants can propagate, just like fish can propagate, just like birds can propagate and livestock and so forth. So we have the capacity that God's creatures have of being able to reproduce after our kind. And if we were thinking that all God wants to do is to propagate creatures, then, then nothing else would really matter. But God is not about simply creating human beings that come out and, and uh, you know, make more human beings. He wants his image. And that's one of the key things is that God's image is not like the marred image or the distorted image that Adam and Eve bore. The image of God is really most accurately seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And so let's jump from Genesis 1 into 
John chapter 1, and what we'll see is the perfect image of the perfect God, because this will give us the idea of what God is trying to reproduce in this world. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in Jesus, we have this word of God, or the the living word of God, and within Jesus are these characteristics of light and life. So Jesus has these characteristics, and that is why when we start talking in the New Testament about life and death, we have to understand that because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they brought death onto the human race. And I I know we're getting a a little off of the main question subject, but I want to finish this thought here. In John 1, 14, it says about Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so now we have the idea that Jesus Christ himself will now be involved in the replication of sons and daughters of God. Well, that gets us back to this point. And the question is, what is it that's God's purpose in this life? Is he just about creating more and more and more human beings? And the answer is no. God wants us to bear his image, his physical image, and he wants us to bear his spiritual image. So in John 1, 12 and 13, it says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what uh, John is talking about here, which is the, the main thing that we want to understand is that the life that we have now is not simply a life in the flesh or a life in the physical realm. It's a spiritual life that has been given by the spirit man or the incarnation of God, uh, Jesus Christ, when the word became flesh. So when we think about it and we think about the question of abortion and we ask the question, when does life begin? The answer is that physical life, okay, the union between a a, a man and a woman, when an egg is fertilized at conception, that is when physical life starts and and the cells start to replicate. Within that DNA that has come from a man and a woman in a a fetus, a growing fetus, life is already occurring, 
okay? But that life will not become new life or spiritual life until that person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we're so focused, not just on that birth experience, but on the born again experience. And that's why when Jesus came and spoke to Nicodemus, or when he spoke to the woman at the well, what Jesus was talking about was the Holy Spirit that Jesus would give to the woman at the well, that Jesus would give to those who become his sons and daughters so that they would have true life, the spiritual life in them. And so then we think about this whole idea and think about abortion. And we think since that has impacted so many human lives, um, let's think first, what, what happens to the, to the fetuses, to the, to the preterm infants, infants that are aborted? And the answer is that a loving God, a merciful God, a God who realizes that these are souls that uh, haven't taken a, a, a breath of air, they're, they're immediately with him. That's one of the things that, that is kind of the good news, is that, that those souls that have been created are in God's presence. Uh, and, th and then what about those of us who've been impacted by abortion in our lives? What about those of us who have fathered children out of wedlock who then were aborted? Uh, what about those of us who were mothers of children in our womb who then faced a difficult decision and, and decided perhaps for an abortion? Uh, how does God view that? And, and the answer is, uh, with grace and with love and with uh, forgiveness, because God is a God of grace and a God of love and a God of forgiveness. Um, I, I um, don't have these passages, uh, but I'm thinking of the baptism of Jesus. And at the time when Jesus's uh, ministry was inaugurated in Matthew 3 and Mark uh, chapter one and Luke chapter three, Jesus was baptized. And at the time of his baptism, God expressed his joy. He said, you are me, my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. And I believe that whenever a, a human being, a, a soul that is dead spiritually comes to life spiritually, that's akin to the baptism that Jesus experienced. We are then baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus and God the Father that in fact give us his spirit, his living spirit that causes us to be alive and causes the light of Christ to shine within us. That then brings us to life. And so we have not, even if we've had uh, horrible experiences in, in sin and death and even this kind of abortion sin, when we are brought to new life in Christ, I believe that God says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. 
And, and even though you've had this horrible thing in your life, I am well pleased with you. Uh, it brings me uh, to bear, and this is a little off of the topic, but my thought is this. We, we, we spend so much time trying to run away and hide our sins from God, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They, they sinned, they ate the fruit, and, and they tried to hide themselves from God, and they covered themselves with, a, with a leaves, you know, fig leaf. And the idea here is we can't hide from God. He knows what's going on in our lives. What he wants us to do is to be unafraid and unashamed and come to him and say, Father, Jesus, I have sinned, forgive me and, and fill me with your spirit and cleanse me and transform me. Because that is when new life, real life, spiritual life starts. Um, it, it amazes me how many times we think that uh, somehow that God or Jesus is, a, is afraid of sin or sins that we might have committed or experienced or friends of ours that we're counseling with may have experienced. The only qualification that allows one to have a relationship with Jesus is that you're a sinner. That's it. You have sinned and therefore you need the Savior, the redemption, the forgiveness that Jesus gives. And so I would say, David, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but I would say uh, that is how I would start this uh, show. And I'll take questions, or if you want me to continue, I can do that. Thank you uh, so much. Um, I, in just thinking about this, there's a lot uh, to deal with, um, like you said. But I do love the fact that we are going back to the beginning and realizing that God's purpose is, for the lack of a better word, I need to be careful with my English <laughs> right now. Not so we multiply in terms of fill the earth and the heavens, but that God will be multiplied, if I can say, in each one of us, that each one of us will reflect him. And he's done that uh, by creating us in his image. But like you said in chapter 3, of Genesis, that image is marred. That, that image is, is is distorted, and we see the perfect image of God coming in John chapter one, uh, starting with verse one, and I think the next couple of verses. And coming to verse eleven, to all who believed him, to all who received him, he gave the right to become children uh, of God. And it's interesting how sometimes we forget that he is doing and has done in uh, in so many one of us uh, the redeeming work. Uh, in our lives. And so in dealing with this very difficult uh, topic of abortion, we need and must understand that he is a gracious God, one that forgives, one that forgives. And almost using the same words that Christ had when he said, you are my son in whom I am well pleased, not because of anything we've done. And I think you mentioned that very clearly. It's by grace that we have been saved. What Christ has done and the cross. And I think, uh, Dr. John, that you have sufficiently, at least for now, uh, been able to answer that question uh, in saying, yes, he forgives those who might have uh, gone through this very difficult time. And uh, why it is wrong, the question we asked at the beginning is because we are created in his image. It's the image 
of God that we are dealing with. I do love the example you just gave of Genesis chapter 3 when our natural tendency is to hide uh, when things like this happen to us just like Adam and Eve. And yet God knows. He knows. And uh, borrowing the words of the psalmist, he searches the deepest parts of our souls. There's nowhere we can hide. Because the psalmist asks in chapter 139 of uh, Psalms, uh, where can I hide, O oh Lord, from you? Where can I hide from your spirit? And honestly, there's nowhere. Uh, there's nowhere we can hide. I'm not sure, Dr. John, if you could use the next 15 or 20 minutes uh, to just uh, share with us, because you did have a series you are preparing. And I think on Monday we did look at a uh, loving God, loving God, sorry, uh, with your soul, uh, thinking about the great commandment that Christ mentioned. And then coming to today, we're talking about loving God. This is part two, the Holy Spirit and the perfection of your soul. We are ready for you, Dr. John. Thank you, David. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that this follows logically from what we just talked about. Uh, since we are born with the DNA of Adam and Eve, we have that sinful nature in us. And so therefore, to be able to love God with our souls in the way that God deserves to be loved, we must address the sin problem in us. And so once we receive the Holy Spirit, the goal for us is, is to have the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and help us as we become holy. That is the process that, that holiness uh, that is described. And I want to hit a few verses, particularly in Romans. Uh, Paul is very strong about this. And he, he, he's careful to go back in his parallels to Adam and Eve, that this is where the problem started. So in Romans uh, 5, 12 through 14, Paul says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Then in Romans 6, 1, Paul asks the obvious question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then Paul makes this remarkable admonition. This is Paul's recommendation to the Romans. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so now, no longer with the Spirit of Christ in us, with the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, helping us to live and understand the holiness that God desires, we now are to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. Not just that we're redeemed, renewed, regenerated, and, and going to spend eternity in heaven. He wants us to understand that we are free in Christ to live a life free from sin. Now, in 1 John 1, I'm very careful to say it does not mean that we will live with sinless perfection, but we will sin less as we walk in the Spirit. And the key thing here is for us, like Paul, to understand that it's our union with Christ when we're in him and he is in us that we can live this life in the Holy Spirit and our souls will therefore, our whole beings will therefore be loving and glorifying God. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 1 Corinthians 15, it's very interesting because Paul connects the concept of uh, a soul life that's been given to us from Adam with the spirit life that we are given in Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 15, I'm reading 42 uh, and on, Paul says this, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became, the first man Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Verse 47 says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, 
And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so that to me shows the tension that we're in. We are born in the lineage of Adam. We have a soul that has come down through the centuries from Adam and Eve. And so we have that inert sinful nature that's been in us from the time that we were born and able to make choices. We made choices just like Adam and Eve did. Choice after choice after choice because we we loved ourselves, okay? And then when we were born again, we then became spiritual. In 2 Corinthians 3, 8, uh, sorry, 17 and 18, Paul says this, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we with all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So the Lord's work in us, in our souls, is to be transforming us by his spirit into his image. And that's why this whole process that we go through of transformation, you can call it sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus, okay? It's not that we're getting qualitatively more of the Holy Spirit, because when we're born again, we're baptized with the Spirit, we get the whole Spirit at the same time. But it's that as we go through the process of living day to day with the Spirit, we then begin to uh, reflect the image of God more because we choose to die to sin. We die to the flesh. We die to ourselves. And that's the key. Uh, Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, he says this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the key that Paul is saying here is we are able to exchange that sinful 
nature, the, the unholy sin that we have that made us enemies of God, we can exchange that for the spirit that Christ gives us and fills us with and the image that Christ gives us of himself that then from the inside out transforms us into his image. And it takes us back to the cross. I love, David, uh, that you uh, played uh, Phil Wickham's Living Hope. It takes us back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. John 15, 12 and uh, 13 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And what I want to do, David, is to read that again, and I want to translate this verse in the, in the most specific way in the Greek. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his soul for his friends. And that is, in fact, the word in the Greek, Jesus Christ laid down his soul for us, his everything, his spirit, his body, his emotions, everything about Jesus he put on that cross so that he could, in his whole being, redeem our whole beings our minds, our spirits, our souls, our emotions. He could, in his sinless flesh, redeem us from the pit for full life with him and the ability to image him in this world. Wow. Um, I, I'm still lacking breath in terms of uh, how I can be able to react to some of the things you have been sharing with us. But let me borrow the words of, uh, I think it's Tim Keller, I don't know where he got the illustration from, but what we are looking at right now is compare them um, with candy or sweets versus chocolate. Uh, usually we have been enjoying chocolate chocolate you bite once and you're right in the middle enjoying the cream and the core and that softness and you appreciate it immediately but what we are doing tonight is more like just chewing on that sweet or that candy the hard candy and it is sweet but you don't get into the bottom yet you have to keep sucking on it and some candy is harder than other candy but it is sweet but over time, you get to the bottom of it. You get to that core. Some candy has chewing gum in there. Other, other, other sweets have another chocolate right in the core. And it's, it's been difficult just to be able to chew on this um, because it's, it's slowly making sense. It slowly begins to make sense. I mean, we began all the way from Genesis. Actually, from verse 1, I mean, chapter 1, verse 11, talking about plants and uh, seed-bearing plants. And here we are, at the end, coming to see what exactly God is doing 
uh, through all of eternity past. It's amazing. His work is just amazing. And all of this time, he's saving human life or human souls. That's, that's, that's what he's been trying to do uh, through all eternity. Dr. John, allow me to jump off another cliff here as we come to the end of our show by digging into things I don't fully understand. But <laughs> coming to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we, I think, stole on about verse 49. And I kept reading at verse 50, he, he's kind of drawing the application out of everything he's been talking about. When he says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishables. Sorry, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory, or death, where is your victory, or death, where is your sting. And I know just going through these last two years with death knocking at our corner, not knowing where the enemy is called COVID, where you know you could have about two weeks to live, and uh, by the 14th day we are burying you, We've each one of us present tonight has thought about death. We've thought about death. But I want to say that recently, at least when the lockdown begins to be lifted and people are going back to slowly back to work, I must confess that there is challenges uh, that come with life and, and the systems falling apart that sometimes we lose sight of what God is doing in our lives or what he's doing in the rest of the world. Sometimes this everyday life can be a distraction. But I hope that this evening you have been reminded of what is important. You're reminded that I love the passage that Dr. John just read. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We implore you, be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to Christ. I pray that each day we'll find someone to whom we'll share that message of hope, not forgetting what God is doing. Dr. John, once again, thank you so much for being with us tonight. And... Uh, enduring with us and going through these very difficult passages and bringing out exactly what God is doing in our lives with our souls, um, starting from the beginning and coming to the life that we have in Christ Jesus. But as we come to our end, Dr. John, how do you see these things lived out in your everyday life? Um, I know on Monday we did talk about, and you gave a very beautiful example when you saw children on stage and uh, how you are wondering how many of those souls would live for Christ. And I think you did give us um, uh, uh, a percentage there. I think it, you said two out of 20 or four, I forget, it must have been four, end up living uh, for Christ, uh, those who have been raised in church. But how, how do these things, like what you've talked about today, how are you able to see these in your life, in your everyday life, um, as, as a believer, as a doctor, as a professor in, in a Bible school, um, in knowing and looking at the entire plan of what God is doing, starting from Genesis, how does this impact you every day as you live for him, Dr. John? Maybe in about two minutes as we come to the end of our show. 
Uh, great question, David. And, and I'll say, um, yeah, I had, I, I took care of like 35 souls uh, today before your show. It's about uh, three o'clock here, but I saw a full load of patients in the office. And one of the patients, uh, actually, uh, she's in her 90s, but her son was there and he just remarked, he's like, you, like you, I just see this joy in you, like, and he, he's not a Christian guy, but he just noticed, he said, you know, what, what is this that that's happening? And I think I've been meditating on the thought that your soul exists because you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. You are created in the image of God for his pleasure and you bring God pleasure by your very existence. And, and to me, I, I just, it's, it makes me smile. And, and I think the key thing for me is that I've come to realize that God's chief view of me and of all of you is joy. He has a very positive view of his creation, his, his people. And, uh, and sometimes we forget that. So I would say, I think the real key is, is, is knowing that God wants us to be sons and daughters who literally exude his light and his life. And so when Jesus said to the disciples, you are the light of the world, what he meant was you are going to display the glory of God in your life and I want you to know what a great privilege that is. And then as you do it, and if you do it well, and that's what we'll be talking about on, on uh, Friday, um, that is, is the greatest reward in this life, is, is, is hearing, like God said to Jesus, hearing him say to you, well done, David, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. I that makes me smile as well. Now that you talk about it that way, when you say it out loud, <laughs> it's 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 amazing how our very existence pleases Him. But I also know that depending on what's going on in our lives, whether our prayers are being answered or not, sometimes we wonder what we did wrong. Sometimes we wonder if we ever please God at all. But may this be a reminder that God is pleased in our very existence. If he's allowed us to see tomorrow, he does have a purpose for us that we need to accomplish. And it's up to us to ask ourselves each day, God, what do you want me to do with the life that you have given me? What do you want to do with this image that you have allowed me to be able to just proclaim to the rest of the world? And Lord, show me how. Show me how. As we go to bed tonight, continue to chew on this candy or this sweet Chew on it as you rest, um, just like the Bible says, as you go to bed, meditate upon his word. Don't let this book of the Lord depart from you. Meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do everything that is written on it. By this, may this uh, verse be true of each one of us uh, tonight. Have a good night, guys. Uh, at this point in time, I'd like us to end our show, and I pray that we'll be gracious to one another, that uh, we'll love each other, that we'll proclaim it. Because it says they will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Please go ahead. Do not forget to uh, subscribe. Click the follow button just before you exit. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram 
and on Facebook, just search for Cabin uh, Devils. Soon, I'll be announcing something awesome coming up, I think, before the end of next month. We are going to be coming better and better. We're not staying in one place. Cabin Devils, bringing you the best from all over the world. Have a good night, and we'll see you guys on Friday. May God bless you. If you're going to listen to a podcast before you go to bed, you can as well grow in your faith. Cabin Devils. Your number one live podcast. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 p.m. East African time.